Uh, so normal intro, Parker does does spiel. I say Zach is here, and then we Hello. go. Yeah, I say, yeah yeah. So we'll kick it off. Um, and Dan, do you want to say and special guest Zach, and then and then we can. Yes, I would love okay, to. Okay, all right, cool. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bookends with Friends. This is your co-host, Parker Moon. This is Brett Urban. And your co-host, Daniel Phillips. Dan, you're supposed to lead him in. I feel like we just agreed on this. <laughs> I really and thought we agreed on Parker doing the normal spiel. And then... oh, 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 so we're a weekly book club <laughs> podcast, um, and this, this is Keep normal. Keep it in. Uh, uh, every week, we uh, talk... And every month we go over one book. This is a book episode. We're covering Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. I can't ever say that name. (laughs) Whatever. Whatever, man. Um, Children of Time. And we have a very special guest with us covering that book today. That got butchered beyond belief. Here's our special guest. Good friend of mine slash roommate slash fighting game nemesis. Zach Dyson. That's a that's a high praise from the literal greatest fighting game player of all time that I've ever met in my life. So, well, well, also also friend and and listener of the show. I, I feel like we we can't uh, not yeah. say that Zach's been a, a super supportive um, listener and has kept up with the podcast. Has sent in some incredible emails, quotes of the week. Um, Zach, we are happy to have you on the show with us today. Well, I'm very excited to be invited into this illustrious studio. (laughs) (laughs) You're too kind. Um, Well, let's do short stories. And I don't know if maybe you can just talk about what you've been reading besides Children of Time. If you've been reading anything, we'll let Zach go first. Uh, Yeah. So obviously I have been reading Children of Time, uh, which I finished maybe two weeks ago now because I had to chew through it before I started classes um, and then now that I've started classes, don't have much time to read, but I have sort of squeaked in a little bit of time to read, uh, Tress of the Emerald Sea, which oh, is, nice. yeah, it's, it's lighter reading, you know, the chapters take yeah. like five minutes to read. So, um, I've been reading just a little bit before bed every night, so I'm not reading nothing, uh, because if I wasn't reading Tress of the Emerald Sea, the only thing I would be reading is this incredible honky chunky boy, uh, <laughs> ethics for a brave new world because of my uh ethics class that i'm taking um <laughs> is this an ethical podcast zach i i would right? say that's a great question morally neutral <laughs> um, <laughs> morally neutral maybe leaning towards dubious maybe maybe leaning towards dubious we're in a villain era. No, no, no. Uh, I think this podcast is a positive impact on the world. God, that uh, feels good to hear. That is that is good to hear. We didn't even have to pay him to say that. Our carbon <laughs> footprint is off the charts, though. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for certain. We are not neutral there. I do feel bad because I knew that you were taking classes, and I also knew that I wanted you to be on the podcast with us. Obviously, because me and you text back and forth all the time about books anyway. And so the book I chose for you to read when you have no time to read was a 600-page, pretty complicated Epic sci-fi journey. novel. <laughs> yeah, baby. Which, like, to be fair, I was going to read it 
anyway. Yeah, like yeah. I, I was really excited to read this book. You've been talking about it since like halfway through last year or yeah. something like that. And as soon as you talked about like it's spiders and evolution <laughs> and like I'm like, I got to read this book. That's a cool book. So, yeah, I, I was going to read it regardless. So don't feel bad about making me read okay. it. I was going to make it happen. So very cool. Um, I'll go because my short story is Zach related. I thought it would be fun to share my first impression of Zach. <laughs> and how oh, okay, good. My this first... could only this could only go well. <laughs> only a good thing. So, um, Zach and I went to college together, and we became good friends and roommates uh, during school. But before we were friends and before we were roommates, we were classmates and strangers. And so, I don't even know if Zach knows about this, like. You stalked First him. impression story. Uh, but we were in like an English lit class together. Didn't know each other. It was like the first week of school. You know that uh, like unspoken rule in college of like if the professor's not there in X amount of minutes and like class is canceled and everyone leaves, that, that thing. So we're sitting in class. Professor's not there yet. It hits like... I remember it being pretty early. Like, I remember hearing, like, oh, if they're not there in 15 minutes, you can leave. We were maybe in minute, like, four. <laughs> and Zach stands up and he says, oh, professor's not coming. I'm going to leave. And he walks out of the classroom. And we're all just kind of sitting there twiddling our thumbs. And about 20 seconds later, the door opens again. And Zach walks back in with his head down. And the professor is directly <laughs> behind him. <laughs> he, ran, he ran into her in the hallway. And I assume there was a conversation of like, no, get back in class. I'm here. Because you did look very defeated when you walked back in. I do not remember this <laughs> at all. <That's> amazing. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure like. We met each other, you know, after that, like officially, not in class, but just through like mutual friends and the groups we were in in college. And I'm pretty sure I told you the story then. And you said, nope, I don't remember that. So maybe it was just a guy that looked like you. I don't know. Maybe this is just a common occurrence. Zach, did you do this often? Was this just your uh, go-to <laughs> every, move? Every class. I felt like I was a pretty good student who attended classes pretty faithfully. But there were definitely certain days where I'm like, I am not physically mentally present so i'm out of here but is this the professor that was you know, you uh, know who it was the younger woman always yeah. wore like uh looked like brandon sanderson if brandon sanderson was a female literary professor yeah yeah, yeah. she wore like a cloak to class one day Ooh, yes all right. and yeah, yeah. you got into a heated argument with her because she was a massive jane austen fan and you ripped northanger abbey a new one this sounds accurate i also <laughs> don't remember that <laughs> She skipped class one day for um, Comic-Con in Atlanta, which I thought was cool. Oh, that's so cool. Mm. Yeah. She sounds like my kind of person. Yeah. But that's my short story. And I, uh, I'll i talk about this later in the episode, but I actually finished the second book Ooh. in the Children of Time series as well. You know that bold claim I said where I was going to read all three? Finish all um, of them. Yeah, yeah. I finished yeah. two, which that's good. That's pretty good. Amongst Tears of the Kingdom time, I feel like it's Come pretty on. good. That's a better like percentage right. than the Wheel of Time call called shot. It's two thirds versus like, uh, yeah, like, that's six. That's sixty six percent, Dan, which is almost passing. That's almost read, a C. Yeah, you're right. Because I only did like, I only did like forty percent of Wheel of Time. You're improving. That's all that matters. Yeah, I'm getting good. Anyway, what's up with you guys? Yeah, well, in a sense, I'm also improving. 
Um, I, uh, Zach is a big fan of my public stores, the one and only, and I appreciate that so, so much. Um, I can't be the only fan. <laughs> I the, the one, no, 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 the one and only. <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Hey, that's all I need to keep going. I'll be here for you. But, so I don't have a long one, but I did turn down, you, you remember my, my story of, uh, the donating to, to the various charities when you're right. checking out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how I had a lot of trouble with that and saying no and feeling horrible about it and being guilted by one of the checkout people. Well, I said no today. Well, how um, proud of you. But I did, it was for a different reason. It's because I, I was mad because I thought, I think I'm a mark. Do I look like a mark? Am I, an, you, have you ever felt that you way? You just look like a generous guy. You look like a nice guy. Why am I worried that he swung in the opposite direction and, and like you like spit on them? <laughs> and so like I, I hate giving to charity. So the I, I was in the, the, the 10 items or fewer, which that's a whole nother discussion of the kind of people that show Don't, up in 10 items yeah. or fewer and really should Don't shouldn't. get me started on that. Uh, the lady in front of me didn't get asked. No, no mention of, hey, would you like to donate to this charity? Nothing at all. I'm like, okay, I'm in the clear. I'm just kind of looking around. I was actually thinking like, well, nothing happened here. I'll, I probably won't have anything to tell Zach about. Um, and then I get up there and she hits me with it. And I was, I kind of was just like, wait a second. What? You know, I want to, I want to ask why, why didn't you ask the other people? Why, why, why are you hitting me with oh, this? Oh, right. This is I, a big step. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> oh, um, okay. All right. All right. Okay. Continue. Yeah, I just said, uh, n- not, not today. I hit him with the not today. Oh, nice. uh, but I, you know, I, I walked out of there thinking, you know, do I just look like a goal? And, and, not that somebody who's gullible is the person that gets asked to donate to charity. That sounds awful for me to say, but I just, I was just, you know, what was the okay. difference between me and her that, okay. that I got? Let me, let me break something down for you, Brad. Um, these cashiers are not ambassadors for the charities that they're asking. Oh, about. yeah, I know. They're mostly being told to ask. And what I assume no, happened I is they yeah. forgot to ask that person. And then you roll up and they're like, oh, oh so I, they had to like, this is a part down. of my yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you wake up every morning and you're like, man, I hope I don't get asked to donate to charity today. I generally don't mind it, but <laughs> I just took it, took. He feels singled out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I get that. I, I got a question for you though, because okay. this could change everything. Are you a pay in cash type of person? No, I am always credit card. Does it not ask you on the little like digital readout card swiper thing whether or not you want to donate to charity oh no not at not at my public so i've gotten that at other places before which would be easier to say no to mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. always at public at at least at our publics will they'll push not only will they say oh would you like to donate to anything they'll like push the pamphlet towards you so you have That's to like horrible. look in you shame look at it. as you say no no. Um, and it's just, just a face like, of a sad child. Yeah, you're just kind of like, no, yeah. not 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 today. Like, Zach, you, your face. you may forget what it's like, but you're in California and we're in South Carolina, and you used to be we're a, a little southeast behind. boy, and so I, I, it might be different in California, but we still get guilted with sad pictures of three-legged dogs and charities. We just got banks here. You say I like <laughs> used to know what that's like. I grew up in Alabama. That is, I've never been shown a picture of a sad dog and had to <laughs> donate at a grocery store. 
Oh, shoot. Touche, touche. Maybe I need to find I'm, a new grocery store. Yeah, I'm convinced this stuff I'm, just happens to Brett. <laughs> maybe it hey, is. Hey, keep Brett, it coming. Honestly, maybe it is just him. Next time, Brett, you should ask. Ask them. Ask them why they why they single you out. Yeah, but then I just look like a jerk. You know, I don't oh, want to say to do it is in it mean because way? I look so rich that I, I could be <laughs> so, go. you know. Yeah, hey, you know what? That's exactly why. I'm gonna have a little I can only think of stuff. positive reasons, you know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's uh, that's my journey. I'll I'll try and keep them coming. I I'll I'll go back to Publix today, and I don't know if we'll be able to go tomorrow, but I'll try. Oh God! I'll try to get there. How often? <laughs> Never mind. It doesn't matter. No, Parker. no. We need a we need a. Can we? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Parker, um, go. So so I uh I, I went to the beach um with my family just to to get away for a couple days. We went to Fripp Island, um and it was it was great. It was nice. I had some. Uh, relaxation time. I finished Children of Time and also read um, Fonda Lee's uh, uh, like prequel book to Jade City called the the Jade Setter of Jan Loon, and it was great. It's uh, like a short 150 page mystery novel set in the the Greenbone Saga world, which is just fantastic. Um, but that that's not what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the deer of Fripp Island. Okay, so. Yes. So on this island, this beach island, there is about 400 white-tailed deer uh, that just coexist with all of the the locals there. Um, the island's like six and a half miles long, so it's not a very like big, big area. Place. So 400 deer, like you see deer everywhere you go, but they just like harmoniously exist. And they're so non-threatened by humans because the the island culture is that they're just like they're almost like pets. They don't want you to like feed them or anything. Yeah. Um. But they just like encourage you to like you know let them go like about their day. You, you know you can stop and take pictures or whatever if you'd like. Um. But they, I mean they they literally would just like walk up to you and and look you in the eye like no fear. And it was it was just kind of this uh this weird like uh, uh like beautiful. Uh, interaction with nature and and while reading children of time it, it was kind of this weird um like uh it, it, you know it felt uh serendipitous uh, of like the, like I, I don't know because normally you know you see deer and they're they're like very scared and threatened by everything um and then there's this place this on this this beach in south carolina where deer live in this perfect uh harmonious relationship with with people um, so that, that's my short story. I, I, you know, it's just a very weird occurrence, but I, I really appreciated it. Was there a moment where there were deer within a very close proximity to you where you felt like I have become one with nature? I am a druid oh. now. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, the, uh, in, in particular, there was a, the time where we were walking up to the beach and like right before the pier, there were, there were three deer and they were just like eating off of these bushes. So I went, I like, got up real close. I was taking a picture and they looked up at me and, you know, kind of like sized me up. And then they looked back down and were eating. And then Maddie was like, Hey, you know, she like call, called my name and I looked up and then this, this buck, like, I guess the one of their pack was coming from the other direction. And so I just stepped out of the way and we kind of made eye contact. And then he just like walked right past me to be with the other three deer that I was taking pictures of. Boom. Um, yeah, it was it was very weird, but uh, a cool cool experience. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing. If that's like if other if there's other places that are like uh, 
nature reserve areas for deer like that, but they really have <laughs> no fear. They just like a human, not a big deal. All right, well, let's uh, let's get into discussion. I feel like we've we is everyone good on short stories? Let's go back to this charity thing. Um. No, 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 no. We're done. Okay, we're moving on to discussion. I uh, love before charity, we do that, by the way. Before we do discussion, uh, we do have quote of the week, our segment where we choose a quote. Um, for book weeks, it's from the book that we read this month. Uh, and I believe Zach brought this quote. Zach, would you like to read the quote of the week? I would love to. Um, so this is, I think, uh, it's not... At the end of the book, it's like three quarters of the way through the book. Um, but I feel like it was just like that kind of sums up the point of the book, if that makes sense of, you know, you start with uh, Kern and she's very like self-obsessed and, you know, self-aggrandizing even. Uh, and then you get this quote of the week from one of the Porsches and she says she understands in a real and immediate way how she stands on the backs of giants and that her own back too will be strong enough to bear the weight of many generations to come. Yeah, there it is. that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, we're going to live by that. Uh, our listeners will, will live <laughs> out that quote this week. Um, remember those who come before and, uh, and try to try to uh, pave the way for those that will come after. I think that's, that's kind of it, right? I mean, yeah. did I get the gist of it correctly? Yeah. It's this the humility of I think good science and good progress. That's mm-hmm. not like I'm the greatest, but rather I've been preceded by people that were great, and I'm just one step along the way. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Very good. Um, great quote. Well, uh, so let, let's just jump into. I, I really, I mean, I mean, I'm excited to talk to you guys about this book. I think we all probably have the same overall uh, impressions, but I got to ask, so yay, nay, what what are our thoughts? Yay. Yeah, I, I really liked this book a lot, and, and I was telling you during short stories, I was excited to read it, and I'm glad that it lived up to the hype. Uh, I was also very worried the entire time I was reading it. I was like, I really like this book. What if they hate it? And then I have to get on this book, <laughs> the, the book podcast, and defend this book. Um, so I'm glad that you guys like it. From Dan's original description, so I remember, like like Zach had said, last year he brought it and was like, um, he had put it forth as one of our possibles, and it got pushed, and then we decided on this year, going in, I was like, cool, um, spiders accidentally become, like, super evolved, that sounds great. I did not expect just, like, the just the size and depth of this story that, that, oh, that yeah. came along with that. Um I think this, just for the sheer, like the the achievement of putting together the research that it took to to write this is commendable and like deserves so much recognition on its own. Completely, if you hated the plot, that's, but like just the fact, there's had to have been so much work that got put into this because you had to write a compelling story, which it was. And on the back of that, you had to do, countless like deep dives into all kinds of different research like there was there was space research there was evolutionary like uh theory involved in this and just to do it step by step and then the way you do it did it was so believable it was it was just insane Uh, it kind of blew my mind yeah even when i put this book forward the two times that i've done it it's not what i expected you know i expected a very 
kind of fun, adventurous thriller type of thing of, oh no, humans are stuck on this planet with these evolved monsters. That's all I thought this book was going to be. I never expected within 100 pages to be just so rooting for spiders in my life. (laughs) Just like in love with these characters that came out of uh, where this story went. And so it was really, really enjoyable. For sure. Yeah, no, I I mean, I I completely agree. I think uh, kind of what what Brett was saying, the I mean, and, and what you just said, Dan, like when we had taken it at like its face value with the synopsis, I was thinking more along the lines of like, okay. Uh, a Jurassic Park situation in space, like an action adventure yeah. with giant spiders. And what I did not expect was to get this like really deep, um, like sociological, anthropological study of um, uh, uh, and, and just like evolutionary study on on spiders and humanity and, and what it has to say about, uh, you know, how how humans look at the world um and and the ways that other creatures might be able to do so in a better or more enlightened way um i don't know i just i think it's it's genius also yeah brett what you're saying like the the research that went into it well also just like to know about all of the spider anatomy and and ants (laughs) and bug and just like all there's so much intricacy in this novel uh, it, it really, it's it's really, really well done. I think to add to that too, the fact that as a reader who doesn't know all those things, I was able to understand what was happening oh, yeah. And, yeah. and understand the science. Right. Where like, I have, I don't know how radio works. I don't know how right. spider anatomy works. I don't know right. how space travel works. Yeah. He theorized spiders and just all these other insects into the space age. And made it layman enough to where we could all understand it. That's ridiculous. That's so crazy to think it's about. It's a Hugo Award winner, right? I'm pretty sure it is. I hope I so. so. I think it I think it's Children of Time won. Yeah. You know, that, that kind of that kind of brings me to the the next point of it too, because concurrently, while you have the story of Portia and spiders evolving on New Eden, you also have the story of. Holston and Lane and everything um, with like the Gilgamesh and the future of humans humanity, uh, possibly humans devolving um, or evolving in in ways that we uh, had not thought we would evolve. I want to ask, y'all, did y'all feel more invested in one or the other, or did you do you think it was good at like both the entire time? I think it did both really well there's a lot of times where it's it it's that it's that style obviously where it'll cliffhang you and jump to the next one and then for that first few minutes of the the other pov um you're like dang it i want to know more about what was just going on which is a perfect way to do that because then the next time it gets to it you're like oh even though you're like oh wait i'm back invested in this one you want to hear about so i feel like it did it pretty well I think there were certain points where obviously I was more interested in one over the other, Mm. but yeah, I think it balanced it super, super well. Um, especially with there were, there were honestly sometimes where it would do that. And I would, if I wasn't listening for like 30 seconds, I would be like, what did I miss? And then have to like, along the way they explain, Oh, there was another, you know, several century time jump and Holston's like pulled back out of 
out of space sleep again. So I'd be like, I'd be like, wait, what? They didn't explain this. Where? Who are these new people? And then it'll slowly explain it to you through context clues and other things. Um, but I feel like it did a really balanced job of it. The part of the story with Holston being basically turned off and on over and over again stressed me out more than anything. <laughs> oh, oh God, yeah, yeah, oh, because awful. I, I think it was mentioned at some point of the book, but I had never thought about it until it was mentioned. But it's not like he's on Earth, you know. You right. have landmarks on Earth that a hundred years from now don't look like anything. He wakes up and everything typically looks exactly the same and he has no idea what has gone down since he's been asleep. And that is just, I, it's hard to pick a like scarier thing for me. Mm-hmm. Honestly, and that's yeah. talking about a book about like sentient spiders who work together to like overcome enemies. <laughs> the scariest part of the book is just time. the ever encroaching March of time. Yeah. 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 yeah definitely. I will say I I really appreciated uh, the multiple POV thing. I think that I was more invested in Portia or or the Portias. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's like one yeah, character right. or not. I, I was more invested in Kern's world than I was in the Gilgamesh, but I felt a closer kinship to Holston than I did to any other character just because I, I feel for that guy. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like what you were talking about of like, of trying to put yourself in his shoes. Uh, and then also like, I'm a pastor of a small church and, and pastors, I think have a very unique uh, experience of like, no one cares about you or wants to talk to you <laughs> until there's a problem. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I felt for Holston because that was his experience where it was like, you are the classicist. No one cares about what you have to say. All of your stuff is like stodgy old book stuff. Oh, now there's a problem and we need you to <laughs> right. make everything make sense to us right now. Yeah. Like, you knock, know, knock, um, knock. Holston, wake up. We, you, you know, translate this weird dialogue for us. Oh, cool. Thanks. Go back to sleep for 15 exactly. years. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think uh, I'd agree with you, Zach, that I was more invested in uh, like Kern's world and um, the the Porsches. I think the interesting thing is and maybe this is maybe this was done intentionally, but uh, a part of like human nature is you you see yourself like, you know, we're more easily drawn towards human stories. Right. And mm. and just uh, like putting ourselves in the shoes like of, of Holston or these characters. So at first it was way easier for me to relate and to care emotionally about the characters on the Gilgamesh. And I think that's just natural human inclination, right? Because I'm like, okay, yeah, these, these are people. I can see myself in their shoes. I kind of get what they're going through. And then you have the, you know, the, the story of, um, you know, Portia and Bianca and Fabian and them slowly, you, you know, over time evolving. Um, but there was a, uh, about a halfway point or probably even earlier than that where I started to realize that I, I was so interested in that that reality, that new world, that uh, the world with the spiders and, and also a lot of their um, like their choices and what they were trying to achieve, I felt was uh, like I, I wanted to hope for them. I wanted to root mm-hmm. for them. And in the Gilgamesh, I was mostly just stressed out. And yeah. I didn't really yeah. and I didn't really want to root for a lot of the characters. You know, outside of like Holston and Lane, I, I was I was just kinda like, oh man, like Everybody humanity's sucks. the worst. Let's get back to, you know, to to Portia and Bianca and Fabian and see what they're up to. Um so I don't know. I uh but uh, overall I, I enjoyed it um 
from both sides, but uh, it, it was just interesting how that ended up working out because from the uh, like the pathos of it, I started to care way more about the spiders and their emotional journeys yeah. than these like stalled out human beings um, who are kind of stagnant for their entire trip uh, amongst or on the Gilgamesh. The the big switch you were talking about, it's kind of wrapped around the like last ditch effort to get to the green planet as the humans called it. And they do the very humanity thing of we got to get there. And the only way to do it is to burn everything alive. That's already Shoot there. First. Like there was, there was never a conversation of like trying to coexist. They like landed and obviously did not go well. And so their only option just reverted to, I can't remember who said it in the book, but they were like, so you want to destroy the planet so we can live on it. Like that's, is that the route that we're really going right now? Well, and the security guard even said something along the lines of like, I've been waiting for this the whole trip. Yeah. And now I finally get to do it. Yeah. It's like, I get to bring up my guns. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Kind of continuing all along these lines. I wanted to ask y'all, what are, what are some of like the evolutionary differences that stood out with like, uh, or between like humanity and the spiders uh, for like their their religious aspects, their political aspects, their uh, just like all the ways that the story had shown evolution between the two. Um, like what differences stood out to y'all? I think that in the show notes specifically, you call out the religious political aspect of it. Uh, and I do think that that is the most sci-fi part of the book in a weird mm-hmm. enough way. Um because like real good gritty sci-fi, like Isaac Asimov type sci-fi, is always like philosophy with like a thin veneer of science and space and all this kind of stuff, sure, right? And sure. I feel like this this book really did that well because the religion aspect and the the political aspect really I think showed some cool things about humanity from the perspective of the spiders, which like some of it was, I, I think very intentional and very uh, obvious, like the whole sexism against male spiders, which made you go, well, that doesn't feel very good to me as a man, you know? And it, it kind of like makes, Oh, like I see now what that feels like from the other side, you know? But then also with the, the religious aspect where it, it kind of poses this question, like is religion, uh, like a natural phenomenon of higher intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, are we just like destined to come up with our own religions or is that unique to humanity? And it's kind of like a muddy question because the spiders aren't left to their own devices. Like their religion is based off of like observable fact. There is sure, a traveler right. in the sky, you know, and it is sending the messages. And so like, it, it kind of asks that question and poses that question in such a way where the book doesn't answer that question. It can't answer that question. It just makes you think about that question of like, if we evolved again, would we develop religion? Is this like something that always happens? And I thought that was very cool to kind of like have that introspective moment of like, is this part of life? Is this part of intelligence? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I agree. And I, I think it was, uh, it, like I, I really liked the the distinctions they made between um, like the 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 political way that spiders evolved and humanity like or just like the comparison of how like humanity evolved. Um, I I think the uh, 
the idea of like spiders being built to create. I know that was kind of like a theme later in the book, um, but just like the way that they maneuver in the world is a lot more based off of creation and, and you know, like building webs and working together. Um, and I think you see that through their culture where to them, like war wasn't even like a thing um, mm-hmm. until way past where I feel like humanity, you know, we, we, we picked up sticks the, for the first time and then started killing each other, you know? So I, I don't <laughs> right. know. I just, uh, I, I, I liked looking at it through a different lens of like, oh yeah, I guess like, uh, it, you know, what, I, and I don't know, this could just be like the, the question of like nature and nurture, you know, like were, were we made or or, or, or or is there something inherent with our design that makes us act like this? Is it because of the way we observe the universe, the way that we communicate um, or is it something that could be, you know, taught to for us to overcome or achieve past? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting. I think the just like the the base format of how their civilization evolved was super cool because you could always tell that moment. And it usually came from several different characters, which is also really cool that they had this rotating cast of three or four main spiders that within their own generation would become become like their thought leaders or their innovators. Um, but each generation of spider kind of put themselves into a bigger box, but like they would always do that. And then they would eventually outgrow that box in some new, like, um, like Fabi, whether it be Fabian or Portia or Bianca or Viola would come along. It, it brings like the evolution of our entire being into like generation so you see it like 30 times over in these spiders who live for like a much shorter time but it was just cool every time to see that new way that um that the characters would find to approach that thing you know going from like using the ants to then coming up with different ways to talk to the ants and every time it was just this gigantic step and every time i'd be like okay where do they go from here and then when they come up the space net using ants and stuff like that, just the utilization of ants was actually <laughs> super, super cool in every in every way. But that, that was just such an interesting just way to go about that. I was gonna, I think that was one of my favorite aspects of the 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 science fiction part of this. Uh, yeah. and we talked at, at the beginning a little bit about you know, the research that went into being able to talk about science and talk about space and talk about evolution. But there's also this aspect of like the creativity of being able to look at spiders and see like what would they do differently than us? Mm -hmm. Um, And also adding in that I think at one point they mentioned that because Kern's world was relatively young Mm -hmm. that there weren't any fossils. So there's no fossil fuels. And so there's this like double motivator of like, uh, well, we're spiders and we do things like spiders do. But also, we can't do things the way that the humans did because we don't have oil to burn. Uh, and right. so, coming up with the different technologies, like I thought that was biochemical fabulous. based. Yeah, we kind of have said different things to bring me to this point. But I think there's something to be said about this book of doing multiple things that I've not seen in a book before. Like the plot alone is a super creative idea that like. I would not be able to come up with if I had, you know, years of time to think of a plot of a book. Right. And so I, even if you were to not like this book, if you read it, it's hard to like neglect how just 
wild it is that these ideas were even thought of in the first place because it does it over and over again like the understandings capital u understandings in the book where the spiders like are passing down their their knowledge and like a spider can branch out to like create a new understanding by himself to like pass that down instead like that concept alone is so good and so fun Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. Can you imagine if humans had that? Like, we would be broken at this point. <laughs> like, <laughs> one human decided that every human below them needed this understanding. It would be a disaster. But take it in a species of spider who, like, thinks very similar and wants to work together and wants to better themselves as a society. It works really great. And it, like, it's just cool. I just, I love all the ideas in this book so much. Yeah. Definitely. I think, uh, and I think, uh, some, some, maybe my favorite thing about this book from like the, like thematic standpoint is how the, the difference between the Gilgamesh and, and Kern's world and, you know, the, how we keep saying the Porsches because they, they weren't the same spider, right? Yeah. Th- these are yeah. generations and generations and generations of spiders. And going back to Zach's quote, being, um, you know, working together, building building civilization off the backs of each other. And then in contrast, you have humanity who's sent out on this this big metal egg, the Gilgamesh, but it's the same people. And so you have two different lenses of what immortality is looks like right you have you have this the 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 lens of immortality from from humanity and i think the the theme there is how individualistic we are and mm-hmm. how um one of the big hang-ups that we have as humans is that we we see us as the main character or the narrators of our own story and it's so hard for us to trust in and, and legacy being something bigger than ourselves or, you know, being being culturally um, or as, you know, as a people or a family or a unit, whatever that looks like, it is often difficult for us to do that past our, you know, past even one generation, right? And then you have the spiders who they, and I, I think this is just very intentionally done for them to keep using the same names, but they're, they're different people, but they you know, that story, they were not like taking credit for each other's successes, but they weren't bogged down by their one sole existence being of utmost importance. And then you can also see that with like a Veronica Kern who, you know, who self-proclaimed herself God yeah. um, of, of Kern's world. And, and again, just another example of, of, of uh, a single human being so obsessed with legacy or so obsessed with um, immortality and power that they, that they weren't able to let go. And I think you see those two things contrast really nicely because how we kind of talked about the the Gilgamesh, it's a nightmare, right? Like they might be immortal. They might have uh, untethered themselves from time and, and be able to live you know, thousands or, or hundreds of thousands of years, but they're doing so by putting themselves in this weird sleep stasis. And then every time they're woken up, they have PTSD. I think uh, uh, like it was like a hundred or so pages in where it's talking about like Holston waking up and he's like, he's like, God, what is it now? Like he's right. freaked out. And in his mind, he's like, man, it's been a rough couple of weeks. 
And <laughs> and then when you compare that to the stories of all of the generation of spiders, it's just fascinating because they the the spiders were able to to live and die and and build and create and feel like their their legacy extended past themselves. And then these humans had had junked it all up by trying to, you know, savor time or savor their lives and spread it out over a near eternity. But then every waking moment they had was hell. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't know. I just thought I just thought it was really good storytelling in that regard um, to have to have those those things uh, compared Juxtapose. side by side. Yeah. Well, well, and I thought that was a cool moment too, where like the spiders definitely had this like trust in the next generation, where it's like, mm-hmm. if we don't figure it out, we'll pass on our understandings. They're definitely going to get it later. Whereas I think the humans, like you said, had this like individualistic view where it all rides on me. If mm-hmm. I don't do it, no one can do it. Right. Uh, you see that with uh, the the chief. You see that with. Um, I can't remember her name. Uh, Lane. 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 And Karst. Uh, Karst. Karst is the security guard. Yeah, Guyen was the chief. Right. And yeah. all of them kind of had this mentality of like, I have to live long enough to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you get this cool shift where eventually children start being born on the Gilgamesh. And Holston looks at them like primitives. And then they kind of are like, actually... I know more about engineering and mechanics and how to run the ship than right. you do. I live here. You know, like... This is my home, right? There was that moment of like, no, you can trust the next generation to do better than you did, you know? Um, it's So I thought that was neat. There's mm-hmm. an, an interesting way of of looking at the, the evolutionary comparison is obviously a, a common idiom, I think that's the right term, in our world is, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's shown several times in this book, especially, you know, Guyan being the main the main example of that. But it's almost like the spiders, you know, obviously, like Parker mentioned, they have a lot more time or every, everybody mentioned uh, they have a lot more time to go through these and grow and, and get better. But it's almost like they, by the end of the book, have overcome that. Like they do. They become they become more powerful than we could ever imagine. And yet they found this harmony within that where they work together more as a society and not one person is trying to take over everything. And I know it's just an interesting way to, to, to think about that. And I guess the humans in a way approach that with Lane becoming the main power and she's kind of, you know, the moral center that is kind of keeping everybody going, but it, it's, it's interesting thing to think about it in that in that way. Yeah. To talk about immortality, poor Holston, man. I swear at the end of the book, he thinks Lane has died upwards of four times. <laughs> and yeah, then she, it's super they, she sad. just keeps coming back older and older. <laughs> can't I kill sw- her. He can't kill her. He thought she was dead so many times. And then they would just be like, we got to wake up Lane again. He's like, what? <laughs> She's still around. I think that's like one of the the sadder tragedies of oh yeah of the story is is his relationship with Lane and him like that that start where she says like, hey old man, like that's how yeah. you know her, th- them kind of flirting, and and at the beginning of the book he was the oldest of the key crew, and then by the end he's 
one of the last, uh, you know, and the rest of them have outaged him. Yeah. And I think there's also an interesting conversation there about like, you know, what is what is the importance of of time or, or living long if you outlive, you know, if, if you're not experiencing it and living it with the people that you care about and the people that you love? Right. Like, what, what what's the what's the point? Um, like untethering yourself from time does very little if everyone around you is living and experiencing and you're just going into this like cryo sleep. There's a book by Orson Scott Card called The Worthing Saga. And it's called The Worthing Saga. It's just one book. I don't know why it's called that. (laughs) But uh, it has a very similar concept in it of this idea of like going into cryo sleep and waking up however many years in the future. And that's in that book, it's used as like kind of a currency, like the richer you are, the more time you get to spend in cryo sleep because then you live longer. Um, Zach, let me cut you off. I think you're thinking of In Time starring Justin Timberlake. (laughs) Uh, same thing. You can just yeah, say, same thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I was like, did I genuinely make a mistake? Um, no, but in this book, the queen of this people is so wealthy and so powerful that she only spends one hour every year awake. And there's like this moment in that book where she's like, I can't rule my people because I don't. It's like I'm skipping across the pond of right. time rather than diving in. Uh, I'm not living, you know, if this is living, I'm not, I don't want it, you know? Mm. Uh, but it's that same kind of thing of like, uh, am I really using my time wisely by not using it at all to do anything? Uh, or would I just be better served to dive in and experience the time that I have? And I think that you do get a, a little bit of that in lane where she's getting older and she's getting older. And even though there's like a burden to her aging, there is also like an understanding that comes with that, I think, where she's like, no, I lived my life well. I, you know, have passed things on. I've cared for the Gilgamesh. It's good enough for me to just know that my people made it to New Eden. Yeah. I don't need to get there myself, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought that was really a good picture of the difference between Guyan and Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so uh, moving on, uh, Hannah brought a question. Uh, thank you, Hannah, for sending in your email. She, uh, in in one of her, um, uh, you know, thoughts or feedbacks on the book, she she talked about the prisoner's dilemma, which was obviously a big piece of that final encounter, the the, the collision between humanity and this like more fully evolved spider. Uh, and how how humans and spiders approached that dilemma completely differently. And so I, I don't know. I think that I just had a question that I wanted to pose to you guys. But do you think that humanity has the capacity for more interconnected values, or do you think that we're we're always destined destined to see the other, you know, like quote unquote the other as as the enemy or as like a competing force? You know, I would like to say yes, but. <laughs> Do I believe it? I yes, but we would need to be gassed by sentient spiders yeah. to unlock Gene that edited. part of our brain. Yeah. yeah. It's that's you could do entire like college, like doctorate level courses on that subject and talking I about think, this. I work. think that's we're qualified like a, to make that call. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think us four idiots are qualified to, to talk about the uh, the human race as a whole 
Excuse yeah. me, I have half a master's degree. I was about to Thank say, you very much. Us three idiots. We brought an expert on. Person. That's right. We brought an expert on. Um, yeah, I do think that the the spiders cheated a little bit, in my opinion. Um, it, when it comes to the prisoner's dilemma. Because the whole point of the prisoner's dilemma is that you only have two options. And they're like, but what if a third option? <laughs> what if we manufactured a third? Yeah, exactly. Which, like, I, I do think is a very human response uh, to all dilemmas, which is, mm. what if there is a third option and we can figure this out? And, and we even see that in the crew of the Gilgamesh where they're, like, trying to figure it out and trying to come up with a, another option and, and just time is against them. But I also thought it was very cool the way that the spiders went about that because I, and I, in my Goodreads like final update for the book, I was like, of course this is how it ends. Like it couldn't have ended any other way yeah. because the spiders all along, like you even mentioned this earlier, they never, the war was a foreign concept to them. Mm-hmm. They assimilate, they, add on to themselves with the thing that threatens them. Uh, and so when humans come to threaten them, it's like, well, what if they were one of us? What if they were like us, you know? And, and so I thought that that was, that was very cool, but also they cheated. And they it's not <laughs> Yeah, it's like the trolley problem if you were just like, well, what if you just stopped the trolley? I, I, kind, of, I kind of like that because I think, uh, you know, I think there are a lot of, um, like straw ban arguments or these type of like moral dilemmas that we like to you know we like to ponder these things right like we we like trolley problems we like prisoners dilemmas and situations like that because we like to talk about like oh like what's the ethical thing to do or 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 how should how how ought we approach this but very rarely are those instances actually fully applicable right like they're they're (laughs) most of the time more options unless you run up into some very bad moral luck you're not actually behind the lever of a trolley problem situation yeah um and i like that i mean and kind of what she says that like it was a very human response to subvert that to say like no and and i just i think that was uh just a really beautiful way to end the story i'm glad it didn't end in war or one of them like overcoming the other yeah but yeah, I, I was I was really hoping because the the crew of the Gilgamesh did have that discussion when they were talking about like oh what's the prisoners dilemma I was hoping one of them would have spoken up you know I think like like Holston at least like thought like oh like what if we don't like what you know what what if we just go on I will say there are some moments in there where and not so, there's probably a good bit of moments where Halston doesn't speak up when you're like. Come on, man. Like, he Mm -hmm. is very passive in his. He, it all, I mean, I don't know. It was probably built this way, but you, he really does feel like you are him because you're not making any decisions. You're basically just along for the ride. He's just kind of told what to do. But there's so many moments where, like, just say something. You know the answer to this. Like, say something. But he always. Just is just like, oh, and like shrug. He basically just like shrugs. Yeah, and it's a lot just of like internal monologue. I'm of sure like that was it, to say. I'm sure that was intentional too, right, from the right. author's standpoint of like I don't mean that in a bad way. Just No, 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 but I'm I, I I think that's an astute observation because if you think about it, like how much of our lives will be measured by that same thing? Right. right? Because exactly. we have things going on in the world right now that are obviously not great. You know, humanity as a whole has a whole lot of uh, things going on that could be improved upon. 
And while a lot of us will post things on Instagram or, um, you, you know, say, you, you know, like, oh, I, I don't like this. This is, you know, we're going about this the wrong way. Um, or we think that or feel that, what are we doing to actually change it or address it? And I think that's probably, um, you know, kind of the reason that we were given the the main point of view from Holston's perspective. Um, because a lot of times I feel like there is this sense of inevitability. Like we're on this these railroad tracks and we're looking around at the world being like, how is this happening? Like, why is the world so bad? Um, and then all the while we're not really doing all that we could to change um, those outcomes. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and to that point, I, I think there is a cool moment in back-to-back chapters where you have a chapter from the spider's perspective and you have a chapter from Holston's perspective where he kind of grapples with that reality of passivity. Because uh, they're in both stories, they're kind of like looking to the external to save them, uh, where it's like, the 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 messenger is gonna save us from the ants and you know old humanity is gonna give us the right technology in order to overcome this uh but then you get portia saying um oh where i wrote it down somewhere basically um that they have to save themselves if they're going to be saved um and that there is like it's not going to be at the hands of the messenger. It's going to be because we overcame this. And then right after that, the next chapter, there's this uh, quote where it says, Holston had his own beliefs, though, and they did not encompass salvation by any means other than the hand of mankind itself. And it's this idea that, like, if we're going to do this, we have to do it. We can't be passive. We have to fix these problems. We have to save ourselves, you know. Uh, And so I think that even though Holston to the very end ends up being a passive onlooker at least is like introspective enough to realize that he is a passive onlooker right if that makes sense Mm -hmm. zach can i ask you a personal question that may or may not stay on podcast yeah go for it uh so how did that sit with you as a pastor like uh you know because i I mean we've talked about like the, the religious aspects of the book and i think um it's very natural for a lot of uh people of faith to um, want to to pray away the the hardships of the world, right? Uh, I, I mean, and th- there's a, b- a bunch of like adages and, and and you know things about this before where people say like, uh, or, or, or even like the Mother Teresa quote where she says something along the lines of like, I stopped praying for God to change things and started praying for Him to give me the power to change things. I butchered that. I'm sure it's more eloquent than what I just said. <laughs> but uh, you know, how, how does that how does how does the theme of that sit with you? I did. I, I wrestled about how much I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because reading through this book, there's obviously a lot of religious parallelism. You know, Kern kind of setting herself up as God. The opening chapters of the book, literally opening with Genesis. You know, like yeah. it, it was all over the place, right? And so, like, and I think you know, there's all kinds of of parallels. But at the end of the day, I think that the cop out answer is these people were putting their hope in the wrong things. Um, mm. They were, you know, putting their hope in a false God, if you want to call it that. Like, Kern is just human. She's not God. She can't save the spiders. Uh, and in the same way, like, Guyan can't be God. He's just a guy trying to upload himself into a machine. Um, and so I think all along the way, there was this realization of, like, whatever this thing is, 
it's not God and it can't save us. We have to save ourselves. And so like to a certain degree, I think that that's good. You know what I mean? I think that that's great because there are all the time people putting their hope in things that can't save them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so as a pastor, my response would be, I think there is something that you can put your hope in that is worth uh, hoping for and trusting, but it's not Kern by any means. Right. And it's not, you know, and I think that there is uh, also this aspect of if we are putting our hope in a God who actually saves, there is a response from us of, I'm going to be a part of that. I'm going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm going to be kind of like what Mother Teresa said, like, I've been given the power to make a difference. Um, But at the same time, we also recognize that uh, ultimately all of our problems are not solved in this world. That's not what putting our hope in mm-hmm. uh, my God means, right? Uh, sure, it's not sure. that he comes in in a blast of fire and kills all of our enemies for us and, you know, whatever, that it is a, a long-term hope in a new creation and, and a new life and a new world. Um, and, and so I, I think that it does, it, it allows us to endure suffering knowing this isn't it. If, if I suffer my whole life, that's still okay because there's something else there's something better um and so uh uh yeah i think that there is that kind of dual message of it's very easy to read this book and walk away with the conclusion oh well we have to save ourselves we can't put our hope in any other thing in in a higher power or you could take away the message they were putting their hope in the wrong higher power (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and and so yeah i I definitely wrestled with that um but i also appreciated it because i I think that it handles the religious undertones very well and very tactfully and very fairly Mm -hmm. um and and as a pastor i also got to geek out on a lot of the the religious references of you know even where it talks about like oh the giants coming down from the heavens and like that kind of being like the nephilim in genesis but it's humans you know or or where kern talks about like a new star is born in the heavens the savior of the earth has come and like all this kind of stuff where it's like man that's just it's cool and i i probably get to appreciate it more than most people but um yeah, I, I do think that you you need to ask that question of yourself. Is the thing that I'm putting my hope in actually worthy of me putting my hope in it? Or is it just going to crumble before me? You know, uh, and, and obviously I would say the hope of Christianity is that there is something you can hope in that is real and unfailing and, and not disappointing. But I think it also takes a very different shape than we want it to because we want things to just solve all of our problems for us and that's not how it not works, how it works. Right? Yeah, yeah that's wise yeah that's good stuff uh, two things two two things for you zach two personal things uh one i forget all the time how like well-spoken you are and i remember this when we were roommates you're so well-spoken you, sp- you speak so that. good what a good speaker you, you, you do are. you speak good Man, I do the you, words you, you, pretty you dang speak you done dang speak good god you do be speaking good sometimes <laughs> uh two um please do a sermon uh, all about spiders and evolution. Oh no! And don't <laughs> say anything just, yeah. about why. <laughs> and just so there's these spiders. Right. Oh. <laughs> Let's just say there's these spiders. Don't ask. I'll bring us back down to the, our normal level of intelligence real quick, which is <laughs> one of my. Um, I this may be nothing at all, but I just thought it was interesting. 
Um, you know, at, at the start of the book, uh, Kearns is this star in the distance that they can't even see. And over time, they, you know, slowly see her, contact her, um, and she gets closer and closer to them. And she's as she gets closer and closer, she becomes less and less of a god. And by the end of the book, she is underground as like an mm. AI assistant and the spiders are above her. And I just thought that was, that may be nothing at all, but I just thought it was an oh, interesting. Oh, it's definitely something. Yeah. Um, and she it's just kind of has to watch on begrudgingly and becomes more of like an interpreter between the spiders and the humans, like telling them. Right. right. Uh, I just thought it was, that was a really interesting. Well, and I think that does go along with that theme of not, uh, putting your hope in something that ultimately right. is is false and will fail you, the spiders sort of realized that. As soon as they knew who Kern was, they were mm-hmm. like, sure, she knows things we don't. She's wise. We want to preserve her, but at the same time, we're not going to worship her. And I thought it was so... This goes into like all the religious imagery and stuff where it's like, when Jesus was born and it was like God becomes flesh, he did that to save humanity and to be king. Whereas when Kern became flesh uh, as part of that like ant powered AI, yeah. uh, it was like the spiders had to save her and then she was sort of subjugated under them. It was like the exact opposite uh, mm. imagery there, which I thought was fascinating. Um, Cause yeah, it was like that kind of like, you got knocked down several pegs there. <laughs> right, it's so good. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, this is this is good stuff. I think the uh, the book uh, does a really good job of um, just ha- like a- asking these questions and and, sp- and and engaging in a way that is um, inviting to have these type of conversations in a way that I, I really, really appreciate. Um, and in kind of what you said, Zach, like I don't think any like it wasn't super heavy handed with any of mm-hmm. its messaging either. Like it, it wasn't. Um, you know, try. I, I didn't feel at any point of it trying to like force any sort of ideology, um, right. more so than it was of just like wanting to examine the human condition, which I think is a wise thing for everyone to do. Um, and and I can't uh, uh, speak enough to to how much I appreciated that of of the book. Um, and then also I just appreciate hearing you guys' thoughts on it because it's it's very cool. Um, and very wise. And I, I will I will officially stop listening to chat GPT because um, it keeps <laughs> telling me it keeps telling me that it's God. And up to this point, I've I've been thinking that it, it might be. But now I'm going to stop. I'm going to start an effigy in your closet. to chat yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Any more thoughts that we want to go over? Uh, I want to pose to you a very corny question. Uh, maybe you have an answer to it, maybe not. Who do you think? the children of time are it's a good question Ooh, i love and that I legit thought Dang. about that before we came on because i was like i probably should have an answer to this and what i've decided is that the children of time are the, the friends we made along the way <laughs> hey there it is <laughs> <laughs> um now i think the children of time are the spider humans the combo the, the next generation the, the next generation that have despite everything that happened to each of the POVs we have in this book there was still a better version of both of what we got 
I like that answer. And that's the only yeah. thing I could really argue about who they would be. And you could argue like the eggs on the ship, I guess. Because they're, right. they're they're literally children of time. <laughs> I kind of took it as just um, maybe maybe more of like a, a like metaphysical answer to that question of just like the like the entire the entire scope of 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 life was children yeah. of time, right? Because you have honestly, all of that's these. Probably what it is. Well, and I I don't want to say like yes or no because I think that it can be interpreted different ways. But when I was reading it, I was kind of asking myself that same question, Zach. And I think, um, like, I think the book has that recurring theme of like, you know, at the beginning, it's talk, you know, from Veronica and talking about like standing on the shoulders of other people, um, mm. and then and then with Portia saying like we standing on the back, and then like people will stand on the the back of of, of her, you know, and those generations. Um, but I, I think it, I, I think it's that. Uh, maybe overall encompassing like life trying to find a way um it, it to quote the uh drive uh, will quote, find a way yeah life uh uh will but i i think that's you know throughout throughout all of it they there is this um theme of of wanting of life really wanting to continue right whether that be uh the the ancients um, or uh, the people on the Gilgamesh or uh, like even even back to like before the, the when they were trying to terraform, when they were trying to extend humanity's mm. reach out into space. And then you have um, all of the different the, the spiders and the the other creatures on uh, Kern's world trying to cohabitate and evolve and learn and create um, and and continue. And then especially with that context of how the spiders on Kern's world didn't really see themselves as like individualistic, but as you know, all um, kind of writing the same story or writing one story together. Um, that's, that's kind of what I took uh, away from it as like who the children of time was, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that it made any sense at all. What I just said in my word jumble there. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Cause if it's like a, you know, it is a, you know, a common theme throughout where, almost every character mentions the struggle against time. Like Kearns is talking to her AI and is wondering, you know, how long do I have to watch my planet for? And the AI is like, you know, technically unlimited, but it's still a constant threat against every character because she's trying, she is nearly driven insane by it. Um, All the characters on the Gilgamesh are, you know, they think they're beating time because they have these pods where, you know, they, they don't age, but they still never have enough of it. By the end of it, Lane is struggling to have enough and is where, you know, the Gilgamesh starts falling apart and the, the spiders, I guess, would would be the ones because because of understandings, even though, you know, like the humans almost do conquer it as well because, you know, we're worried about you know, information being passed down and Lane succeeds in passing down that information, but the spiders almost seem to do it in a better way by the end of it. And, and like Dan said, I guess by the end of it, it really is just, you, you kind of look at the combo of the two and be at the end, I was like, okay, so these are actually going to live forever because they have better ship. They have better technology. Like this is them just going off into infinity. And this civilization is like, perfect but it is it's just interesting to think about it as the common threat and kind of common enemy 
to every character throughout throughout the story. Can I ask the real another deep question before we end, real quick? Oh no, here we go. How how long do we think before spiders and humans date? <laughs> Probably a shockingly short time. How long before the spiders and humans start to to smooch a little bit? Because if you, it, I I mean, is it wrong? Is it okay? They're they're both sentient consenting creatures. I will pose you this question: Do the females still eat the males? Ooh, interesting. Because if mean, so, no thanks. <laughs> I'll pose you this question, but what, what if, though? What, I <laughs> what, mean, if we, what if what we if kissed on the deck of the Gilgamesh? Exactly. Uh-huh, I, uh-huh, yeah, it depends uh, on... But, but, but what, if it, what, if, what if being with a spider was worth it, you know? How lonely does that new it? ship get? Mm. That's, that's I, where you're going to find out. Dan, let me ask you a question. Have you book? Googled what a Porsche spider looks like? No, and I don't I want to because not. I Are have they sexy. A thing with spiders. That's that's not a word I would use. <laughs> okay, well, that's <laughs> we're talking about smooching spiders. That's where my mind goes. They got those big, big, big uh, eyes, though. Uh, They'll draw big, big, beautiful, inviting eyes, that's long, uh, long legs that go for miles. Uh, the uh, so many of them too. So many legs to love. <laughs> Great segue to my uh, very quick review of Children of Ruin. And the reason this is a segue is because a big theme of this book is the humans, capital H is what they're called, which are the combination of oh, the new species of human spider. Um, the tame. The, the humans and the Porsches and... Bianca's and Fabian's of this generation are best friends. <laughs> they 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 are very it. good friends. That's that's, that's wonderful. what they've grown up with. But to talk about spoiler free review, obviously for all of you as well, children children of ruin. Um, I thought the story was going to kind of do the same thing, like for go the back first, to Earth for the first half. So the the plot of this book is, uh, you follow. The present day capital H humans and their Portia and Fabian friends. And you follow the past 30 years after humans started trying to terraform planets. Oh, okay. Um, so you're following another crew of humans on a ship called the Aegean who have found two planets, uh, Damascus and Nod. On Damascus, one of the crew members um, has a bunch of. Uh, Octop- octopuses and octopi and that's a joke of the book as everyone says octopi and he's like no 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 it's octopuses um that he is testing and running tests with with the same virus oh, God. from children of time and so when i read that i was like i don't really love that it kind of seems like we're doing the same exact thing yeah uh, but what it, what ends up happening um is they unlock this basically actual alien species on the planet of nod Uh that things go really bad um and so that was you know thousands of years in the past we're now in the present with the capital h humans and they have received a signal from damascus and nod they basically are like oh maybe they're like us we've got to go see what's up and they go and see what's up and that's that's all I'll say. And Bad idea. It it leans really heavy uh, onto a more horror aspect. Ooh, so okay. Sci-fi. That's cool. I told I'm Zach interested. before we started recording. Um, Children of Ruin is a lot 
like what I thought Children of Time was until I yeah. read it. Um, okay. And so, yeah, I'll I leave like it at that. that. I did not like it as much. I'll say that. I didn't like it as much as Children of Time. Is it because um, none of the spiders and humans dated and kissed? It's, it's, and honestly, you know <laughs> why? That's just it's unrealistic. Because, <laughs> it's because they never dated or kissed. No, uh, I just There was never a slow burn romance. I think it was Brett who said earlier, like, Children of Time has a lot of the sci-fi evolutionary three stuff that in layman's terms is explained really well. And I don't think it's done as well in the sequel. And that kind mm-hmm. of like, there's a lot of times where I would just like glaze over like sci-fi descriptions. Cause I was like, I don't know what's going on. And I mm-hmm. think that kind of messed it up for me, but uh, overall plot still very cool. Still very fun. Are you planning on reading? Is it children of memory? Is that the children last one? Of memory children- is the last one that just came out. We'll take a break from it. And then definitely. Yeah. I okay. will definitely be reading that. Great. Well, we should um, wrap up. Well, We're running I, long. Oh, uh, go on, Brett. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, so <laughs> two quick points for me. I want to do my quick points. Um, first point. So if you are going to listen to the audiobook, I mean, obviously everyone who's made it this far has probably already read it, but the audiobook, there was some pretty, and Dan actually pointed this out before I even started. And I was like, what are you talking about? It's great. There's some like, as far as like stress goes, pretty triggering audiobook sections. Uh, and Dan actually, the one that he was wondering about was spot on. So the section where Verona Kern is, arguing and like battling for control of the communication with the AI and with the ship when they, when the Gilgamesh is first talking to her in the book, it's written as a side, side by side. Like they're both saying things at the same time in the audiobook, It's like you have the normal like AI talking and then like the copy of her or her herself is like screaming in the back, it, like it, so it says that, and then it screams like in rapid pace, and so it's just like screaming into your ear. It's nothing to do with the reader. The reader is great; she was amazing. But it's just the sheer like it's super loud, and it's just like screaming in your ear, and it's like frantic, and like this person's in pain and is scared. And I was just like, I had to like start fast forwarding through those sections because there's a lot of it in that first. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, and I guess when they were first approaching, there was a ton of it. So I was just like, I can't handle this right now. I have to skip past these parts. Nothing, like, it, I was loving the book, but I was just like, oh God, here we go. It's frantic, <laughs> frantic voice. And it was just, it was really well done. Like, the, well written. It, it it made me frantic. Uh, but yeah, so that, that was one of my points. The second one, just really fast. Uh, the person I think that may have had the worst fate out of anybody um, was the lady who escaped into the trees when the yep. humans first landed on the planet. Mm. I can't tell you how I had to like stop for a second and not make sure I wasn't going to have nightmares of being that person stuck on that planet. Cause that <laughs> yeah, you don't do been... well with spiders, right? No. Am I remembering that correctly? Who yes. does? That would have been awful. She was in captivity for years. <laughs> that would have been they so awful. to see what was going on. God, I can't even imagine. I'm <laughs> I'm glad I didn't go into detail on them capturing her because yeah. I was like, uh, I can't, I can't. I, to to your to challenge that, I will say the uh, the Eliza and Avrana Kern, um, like the end where she, I don't, it's not the very end where she's like uh, with the ants, but there's one part where she's communicating, and then she realizes, like she's thinking that she's the human one. 
and yeah. control. Mm. But then she realizes that she was the AI yeah. and she had progressed so far that she didn't she didn't realize that that switch had happened and that the biological version of herself was just stuffed down and like suppressed. That was freaky and yeah. very good writing. Yeah, that was. Um, man, what a good book. What a great book. Are we good? We we think we're yeah. gonna bookmark it. Yeah, book bookmark it and done. Bookmark of time. Bookmark of time. Um. Well, thank you so much, everyone who read along, um, who sent in emails and uh and and ha- have listened to the podcast. We cannot tell you how much it means to us. Um, that you've stuck around. Thank you, Zach, so much for coming on the thank show you, today. Yeah. Thanks for uh having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, um, and I think you brought some really good points and some fantastic perspective that uh, would not have been here uh, w- from us three idiots. Um, so thank <laughs> you, thank you for that. Um, uh, next month we are reading under the whispering door, through the whispering door, uh, the whisper something, under- something <laughs> right? the, the TJ TJ Clunes book, and we will have that <laughs> next week. Uh, we'll we'll fix that uh, whatever the correct title is we'll tell you next week anything else thanks everybody for uh, for listening thank you to Zach you have been incredible guests and I can't wait to have you on again and uh, yeah thanks to Jacob Robinson for our wonderful theme music and to Maddie Moon for our incredible cover art always and Zach do you want to hit us with that intro or outro sorry <laughs> I will hit you with the intro, yes. Uh, uh, I think you said it perfectly. Uh, The real children of time were the friends we made along the way. That's beautiful. All right. 